0: I've loved being a dad. I have three children and I have two grandchildren and they're all the best part of my life.
1: Welcome to The Art of Fatherhood, a podcast that takes you on the journey of fatherhood. Now here's your host, Art Eddie. What's going on everybody? Art Eddie here for another edition of The Art of Fatherhood podcast. I'm very happy to have Fritz Coleman. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me, sir. How you
0: doing? I'm really happy to be invited, my friend. Looking forward to our conversation. Yes, sir.
1: Looking forward to chatting with you with about the Media Path podcast, Weather Reporter, all that good stuff. But I like bringing good guys like yourself to talk about their fatherhood journey. When you found out you are going to be a dad, sir, what was going through your mind?
0: I'll tell you, uh, you're begging for honesty on this first question. I, I did not have a perfect relationship with my own father. Hmm. Uh, he was an alcoholic and... Uh, a very closed off guy. He he had a lot of love that he didn't know how to show. So I wanted to be a father, but I was deathly afraid of repeating my electricity with my father, which didn't happen. You don't have to repeat your father's mistakes. As I learned, I was afraid. I was cautiously optimistic that I would do a good job. And uh, I've loved being a dad. I have three children and I have two grandchildren and they're all the best part of my life. So um, uh, the lesson I learned is that you, you know, the, the relationship you have with your kids is not hereditary. You can, you can make whatever relationship you want. So I'm very thankful that happened.
1: Love that. I uh, love the honesty. And also too, you know, kudos to you for seeing that you can break the cycle. Maybe not the best relationship you have with your dad, Be you're like, no, I'm going to go a different route. A lot of, you know, it's tough because sometimes it's nurture, sometimes it's nature. And for you to yep. kind of realize that, again, kudos to you, man. And I, and I love hearing that because I know other dads listening to this probably have done the same thing um, when it comes to their relationship with their parents and then their relationship with their own kids. Talk about some of the core values you were looking to instill into them as they were growing up.
0: It's just all about love. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't expect perfection. I'm not going to direct them in their lives where they wanna go for a career. They're, they're gonna discover that on their own. I just wanna always impress on them that there's unconditional love here and regardless of what they do, there's nothing they could do to make me stop loving them. And I'm always home base. I'm always point zero for them to come back to. And uh, I, uh, that, that's all. I mean, I, I, you know, there's no college for being a parent. And so you, you you just sort of figure it out as you go along. But uh, I've I just instilled in them, it's all about love. And when you realize that maybe that you were made that point as a dad is when you watch your children become parents and they're good parents. My middle child, my youngest son, I have two sons and a daughter would rather stay at home and play with his kid all day than go to work. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it just makes me so happy that, you know, it, it's a reflection of your own parenting and whether, the, whether or not he had joy in his childhood and, and repeats it. So that, 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 that makes me very happy. The other thing I instilled in them, quite honestly, is regardless of what kind of success you have in your life, you will get the greatest amount of satisfaction by giving back, like doing something to make other people's lives good. Community outreach work, nonprofit work. That's always been, I was in the television business for 40 years. And the most satisfying part of my career was always doing community outreach work, nonprofit work, raising money for people that need it. And uh, I always tell people at night, when I put my head down, I'm much more satisfied at doing that than being inaccurate about the weather four out of five days a week. So uh, I. <laughs> I, I try to I try to I just tell them that, you know, giving whatever you have, whether it's money or time or love or heart or humanity to somebody else will be the success of your life. So love that's it. what I teach them.
1: Great. And you know, as you said first of all, it begins with love and everything you said afterwards are seeds of love, right? And uh the thing mm-hmm. one of the things that got me was the home base. That you know, you're the home base to them and they're you know, I remember talking to another dad about, you know, dads can be the security blanket right for when the kids yeah. need one. Yeah. So that is fantastic. And then also, too, I highly, highly uh, echo your thoughts about just giving back. And my family and I, when we do food pantries or help out in our community, that is the best way. And then, as you said, like you can see where your seeds of love are. Uh, you know, took with your kids as you see them with, you know, their kids and your grandkids, of course. So that's fantastic. So I feel like you're going to ace this next question because you've been thinking about parenting and fatherhood from different angles. But what is something that your kids, or in this case too, your grandkids have taught you about
0: life or about yourself? Well, I didn't have any brothers or sisters. So I didn't realize how miraculously different Children of the same parents can be. And uh, my older son, quite honestly, uh, has had a rough childhood. he He suffers from addiction, still struggles with it. He's been sober for a while, but he's thirty five years old, and uh, and he he's had a darker life than I could ever survive. I mean, homelessness, Everything. His brother, his younger brother, younger by two years, is a completely different human being. He loves to work with his hands. He's self-motivated. He always wants to do the right thing. He uh, he's sort of a he, he travels to his own uh, compass a little bit. But they're so completely different. And I always thought, and, and not having brothers and sisters, I, I had to learn this when I became a dad that. Uh, two children growing up in exactly the same circumstances the same parenting skills the same joyful childhood can be completely opposite human beings i think that's just a miracle and my daughter who is a lot younger she's 22 and she's a college student uh ace is all of them and she's i always say she's my one low maintenance child she requires no steering She's self-motivated. She's the smartest person in the family. I just stay out of her way. And it's as if the universe is paying me back for how I struggled with my two sons. But I'm just kidding. They're all very special to me. But that's the one thing that they taught me is you you have to analyze each one as their own person and realize that they're going to be completely different from one another. And also, they're not going to necessarily do what you want them to do for a career. Yeah. And as long as their choices are healthy, they will never hear from me because they'll learn from all their choices, whether they're good or bad or misdirected or what. Great answer right there. And not
1: going to be biased at all because I'm the youngest of three. I think the the, the youngest one always is low maintenance and the one that excels. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's right. No, no. I, you know what it is? I, I think what happens is you know they—they're the one that didn't get as much attention, or at least that—that that, that way it wasn't my fan. So they just sort of created their own universe. He's creative and self-motivated; doesn't have to be prodded to do anything. I don't know what the heck happened. I don't know how it, it, its a genetic glitch, as far as I'm concerned. About.
1: And also, too, I think for me, like you see, like all right, so I, I have two older sisters, right, and growing up, and it was always like. They were kind of like not the guinea pigs, but they were just like, all right, everything that they were doing, I'm like, all right, that ticks off my parents. You can't get away with that. You can't, like, all right, sweet.
0: <laughs> so, like, I kind of I'm like, all right, now I know what not to do, right? <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, you had some good, you had some cautionary tales there. I got you. Yeah.
1: I One more sense. question before we get into a media path podcast. Piece of advice for dads, new dads listening to this, or a dad hack, or for grandparents. If you have a
0: grandparent hack instead of a dad hack, let me know. <laughs> just. Fair for you to share one of them. Well, I love being a grandparent. You know, when you're a grandparent, you know, you have less responsibility. You just spoil them and give them back. And too bad <laughs> if you don't like. But uh, I I don't have a hack for parents. As I mentioned before, it's um it, it's something we're not trained for. You have mm-hmm. to go on instinct, you have to go in the example your parents set. Or you avoid the example that your parents set, whatever it is. You're sort of on your own. But if you always bring it back to a place of love, as long as that child understands that that is the constant in all of your lives, which is love, I think you're going to be okay. And then you just let them make their own mistakes. Again, as long as they're healthy and they don't have to be pulled out of a, you know, a quagmire. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think I think that's the way to go. Just just let them know that the love never stops. I, I think that's my only advice for parents.
1: Nice. I'm Great. certainly
0: not in position to give anybody advice about how to be a parent, but I know that love is constant in all the good relationships of my life.
1: Well said, sir. Congrats on Media Path Podcast. Talk about how you started up. What was the inspiration to set that up?
0: Well, my friend Louise Palanker, who she's she's really the creator. She she's been in the podcasting world since there were podcasts. She's a really interesting success story. Uh, she created a company called Premier Radio Networks. They uh, syndicated radio personalities. They started with Rush Limbaugh when they were really younger. I mean, you know, regardless of what your politics are, pretty successful radio guy. She started as a, a, a joke writer for Rick Dees, a very famous disc jockey. Yeah, in Los Angeles. Rick Dees in the weekly top 40. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. And she yeah. wrote that show. And so when she first started, she and two or three other joke writers had the great idea of um, why don't we write jokes for small and medium market DJs that can't afford their own writers and every day we'll fax them topical material and they can just plug their name in and they'll, you know, they'll be able to have humor for their whole show. We'll do it every day. So they started that and it blew up. And they had like 500 radio stations and then they started syndicating, like doing interviews of stars out here in Hollywood, red carpet stuff and all that. And, uh, and uh, started this big company. Anyway, she's very dialed into all this technical stuff and uh, started the podcast. And when I retired from NBC two years ago, I wasn't able to do a podcast before that because I was under contractual agreement with NBC and I couldn't do anything extra. When I retired, she said, we've been friends for 30 years come well you know we have great conversations about everything every day let's just turn it into a podcast and that's what we did so we, we're having a lot of fun
1: nice also too background in radio myself i use premiere <laughs> we would do that as a producing a morning show i would i would have the like if i remember there was like sound at you know sound clips of interviews or whatever the case may be i yeah. work for a radio station in new jersey so very familiar
0: with that network man <laughs> She started their company and then they got big and they sold it to Clear Channel. And then Clear Channel just sold it to iHeartRadio. And so she's retired. She's just having fun doing podcasts. And we have a blast. We we start the the podcast out with five to 10 minutes. We call it Media Path because what we do is every week, we do one a week, we suggest something new to watch on streaming or cable or network television or a podcast or read a book, just something that caught our attention. And uh, then we, we chat about it for five or 10 minutes and then we have a guest on and we have some great guests. We, we, you know, everything from politicians to former rock and roll stars to uh, aging television personalities, all that kind of stuff, whoever we can have fun with.
1: Yeah. And it's it's definitely, it's definitely a good show. And I encourage people to check it out. Um, Talk about you know since the you've been in you know the entertainment business for a while the news and all that. Talk about you know from from now to podcast, but before when you started out, it looks like you're able to. I think people who can stay in the business as long as you sir, you can embrace change, embrace technology, embrace the way you know you can kind of see the way the industries in any in any format, but especially for you, the way things are going. Talk about how you handled those changes and. And just from you know, from when you started to now, are you happy with the way media and things are distributed and the way people can take in different forms of media?
0: That's a great question. I think we're in a time of real change now. As a matter of fact, the business that I was in for 40 years, what's called you know, broadcast television, yeah. network television is probably evaporating and what's killing it is streaming. Now, in the old days, it was a seller's market if you wanted to watch the evening news with Walter Cronkite or whoever it was, you had to tune in at six 30. And then if you wanted to watch the show following that, you had to stay, everything was appointment television. If you wanted to watch Seinfeld, you tuned in at eight o'clock on Thursday. Now it's a buyer's market. You control when you want to watch it. There's no more appointment television, except for sports. Live events are always still important on broadcast TV, but Uh, You know, you can watch stream and you can watch as much as you want. And there's no commercials to zap through. And it's you control your whole entertainment universe now. And I've seen that change over the whole time I've been in the business. And quite frankly, I'm really glad I got out when I did because I don't know where it's going to be. I think there'll always be a market for local news. People will always want information about their town and the politics and all that. But the delivery system, I think, is going to change. Local news may end up being a podcast. It, it yeah. really might. And so I, I think things, as you say, are changing so quickly that uh, we're, we're entering a whole new universe now. And, I, and, and my, my friend Louise, my co-host, will tell you that podcasting is the new radio. Yep. It's a much more intimate form. Uh, it is the new radio. So um, we're, we're here on the ground floor.
1: Yeah, I mean I I like I said with the there's a lot of connections especially for you and I with radio and entertainment and TV and all that where you know you you see all of these things but local like having that local flavor I think one of the reasons why the station I worked for in New Jersey was like you wanted that local news. And, you know, pe- now that everything is digital and people can know when the school closings are, they might not tune yeah. into radio stations for that. But still, they want to know the local flavor. They want to know if there's what festivals are going on or whatever the case may be, the traffic. I get I get that and all that good things. And now know, that, the biggest
0: thing is local high school sports is yes. the biggest draw to local news. That's like the slam dunk because all those kids get all their friends to watch. It's great.
1: <laughs> Love it. Um, yeah. Talk a little bit about, you know, your, your career path in meteorology and like, what kind of brought you down that path to become a meteorologist, sir?
0: It was a complete accident. I'll, I'll tell you my story, real weathermen, real meteorologists, atmospheric science guys hate this story, but I tell it anyway. <laughs> so I came out to Los Angeles, which is where I am right now uh, to do comedy in 1980. I had worked in radio for 15 years. I was a DJ, production director, music director. And when I was a DJ back in those days, this was the 70s and early 80s, usually you would get invited to host at clubs like Spin Records or, you know, you'd be the host to be a draw in a club. So I got a job hosting in a jazz club in Buffalo, New York, very prestigious jazz club called the Trafamador Café. And so as I was hosting in this jazz club, I began to write material for myself just to sort of pad out my time and be an entertaining host. And after I did that for a while, I kind of got a following. So the guy in this jazz club, the owner, gave me my own night. He said, I'm gonna give you a comedy night. We'll give you a Monday night, which is usually our dark night. And so we built this comedy night and I became completely enamored with the art of stand-up comedy. So I did that for a couple of years and decided I wanted to do it for a living. So I came out to L.A. 1980. I was working at the comedy store on Sunset Boulevard, which at the time was where you had to work. And in 1982, the news director at Channel 4 was in the audience one night when I was performing. And I talked on stage about doing the weather in the Navy, but not knowing anything about it. But nobody seemed to care. I just kind of faked my way through it. And after this, this is a true story, I know it sounds like BS, but it's a true story. After the show was over, this man came up and introduced himself to me and he said, this is a weird question, but do you have any desire to come to Channel 4 and do some vacation relief, fill in weather casting for me? And, uh, you know, we've got a main guy who hasn't had a vacation in a year. I really need some help. And I said, you know, I was making $45 a night at the comedy store. I said, When do you want me to start? But you have to know, I don't know anything about weather. He said, fantastic. In LA, there is no weather. This is going to work out great. (laughs) So I auditioned for the job. I I did vacation relief for two years. My predecessor left. I got bumped up to the main weekday guy. And I retired two weeks shy of my 40th anniversary at Channel 4 in LA. Honest to God, it's the greatest stroke of show business luck I, I can think of. I'm, I'm the luckiest person in the world. We got out at exactly the right time. When's that movie coming out, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know. It could be a movie, but I don't think anybody would believe it. (laughs) Nice. Uh,
1: One more question before we finish off with a fatherhood quick five. And I appreciate your time uh, chatting with me about this, about fatherhood and your career. You know, you mentioned like you didn't have a background in meteorology and all that other stuff. But as you got into your craft and, you know, was doing for over like around 40 years. What, what was like the, for you, the highlight or what are you most proud of just with your career?
0: Well, the, the greatest accomplishment for me as a standup was doing the Johnny Carson show. When you're a young comic, that's, that's your rite of passage. And I did the Johnny Carson show eight times. And uh, so for that part of my career, it was uh, doing the Carson show that was sort of you, you had arrived and it takes you to another level of performance in my weather career when I worked at uh, NBC they would NBC had the uh, license to the Olympics for many many years 20 25 years they would send our entire news team to the Olympics because the ratings were through the roof and even though there was a hundred people they had to fly over there in house for three weeks it was worth it because the ratings skyrocketed So I got to go to the uh, Seoul Korea Olympics and I got to go to the Atlanta Olympics. That was 88 and 92. I was at the Atlanta Olympics and I had done the weather forecast about 15 minutes before that bomb went off at exactly the same site where the bomb went off near that bus bench where the guy put the backpack under the bus bench. I had done the weather from that area, like 15 minutes before it was crazy. Yeah. But the experience of being at the Olympics is mind blowing. It's the coolest. I mean, you meet people from 160 countries. You you there's no antagonism. You you say to yourself, why can't the world be like this all the time? Everybody was friendly. They wanted to meet other people. And crazy. So yeah. that for for whether that experience was great for my performance area. The Carson show was the greatest. And I got to open for giants. I got to open for Ray Charles in concert, Debbie Reynolds, the band America, George Benson, the jazz guitarist. I've opened for a lot of people. And I I'm honest to God. And the older I get, the luckier I understand I've been, I've been very fortunate, really have.
1: Love it. Uh, just quickly, Johnny Carson, did he invite you over to the couch after your set? I never
0: got the couch. Okay. And sometimes that's a product of time. Okay. Um, uh, I had good experiences on The Tonight Show. I did it with Johnny. Because I worked for NBC. I was in the same building where The Tonight Show was done. So if somebody canceled, they would call me. I did it with Johnny, uh, Joan Rivers, Gary Shandling, and Jay Leno. Oof. And some experiences were good. Some were not. Okay. The worst experience I ever had was when Barry Manilow was the headliner. Because in those days, he was white hot, you know, Copacabana and all that. And honest to God house women from middle America would camp out in front of the Tonight Show to see Barry Manilow. He was a religious figure to these women. And so when the show started, the whole audience is made up of Barry Manilow's sycophants. So when Barry Manilow's on, they're not even paying attention to the show. So I'm doing my stand up, you know, to the whole, all of America. And there's conversation going on in the audience. They don't care about the stand-up comic. So it was a nightmare scenario. But, you know, in the overall scheme of things, it was still an honor to be there.
1: Yeah, I've never done it. But stand-up comedy, I think, is one of, you know, it's not like a doctor or, you know, policeman or all, anything along those lines. But, like, going up there takes a lot of credit, takes a lot of strength and courage to go up there. And, like, your, your whole purpose is to make people laugh. And as yeah. easy as that may sound, when you're with a, when you're, Performing that on a bunch of people it almost like there could be one or two claps but' like you need the whole crowd with you right
0: yeah it, it can be on a bad night the greatest act of self- abuse you can ever do when, when it's bad, it's haunting but when it's good, it's like surfing a 40 foot wave on the north shore of Hawaii successfully oh. It's really cool and uh it's it's it, it, there's a Jones it's like a there's an addiction to it. When you have a good night, you know, you, you love those endorphins and you want to repeat that. It's an, it's an addictive process. So yeah. you keep going back for more. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. All right. Now we're going to finish off with the fatherhood quick five. Favorite family movie? Do you guys have one?
0: The Christmas Story. Nice. Oh, man. Every year we watch it and laugh just as hard as if we've never seen it.
1: No doubt. Um, favorite band or artist or music, type of music you couldn't wait to introduce your kids to? What was it?
0: Foo Fighters. We would go skiing at Big Bear, and we would play the Foo Fight, one of the first Foo Fighters albums, over and over and over again. And back uh, around the same time, No Doubt, because it was a little less threatening as, than the food, Foo Fighters, so my younger son loved the, No Doubt, you know, and yes. Gwen Stefani had the hots for her.
1: Nice. Describe the perfect family vacation. Where would it be?
0: We just had one. I took my family to Newport Beach which is a really beautiful part of Southern California. We had an Airbnb and we had the kids and the grandchildren and all the connected folks. And we were down there for a beach and were right across the street from the beach. It ate bad food and played games at night and Clue and all those things. And it was perfect. I'm I'm a very simple person. It doesn't take a lot. And we went to Disneyland too. So I spent all the remaining money I had at Disneyland and we had a good time. (laughs)
1: nice for your podcast if you and your and your co-host if you guys were thinking of like the ultimate like get for that show who would it be
0: well that's a great question i i i suppose robert de niro nice uh you know some huge star and it may not go well but i just like to say i did it you know but (laughs) you know i i i'm you know even though i'm in la and i've been out here for 40 years i'm still starstruck by people whose talent i appreciate
1: yeah, Robert De Niro would be an awesome get the stories I bet he could share would be amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. And lastly, top three words you hope your kids would use to describe you as a dad. What would you want them to be?
0: Loving, patient and caring about others.
1: Nice. Great three it words is- right there. People, make sure you follow Fritz on Twitter at Fritz Coleman and Instagram at Real Fritz Coleman. And check out the Media Path podcast. A lot of great guests, a lot of great just insight, just fun, and a great conversation. You should definitely check out. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate your insight and fatherhood, and just your 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 fantastic career. And I hope you and your family. I wish you guys continued success.
0: You know, I got to tell you, I think it's excellent that you have a podcast where fathers can express themselves. And that you you've you've dialed into something there. I wish you a lot of success. It was a lot of fun.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Thanks for checking out this
1: week's edition of the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And also go to artoffatherhood.net. You can have a chance to check out some great articles like the weekly Dad's Doing It Right column, The Collector of the Week, and many more. Plus, you have a chance to win some very cool prizes like video games, collectibles, all that good stuff. Go to artoffatherhood.net. And please make sure you rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts because i will greatly appreciate it to get the word out on the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Art of Fatherhood podcast. Leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts and go to artoffatherhood.net.